ça se passe, j'ai sur mon lit à bouffer sa langue en buffant Prends mon whisky quant à moi, peu dormi, vie débris Mais j'ai dû dormir dans la boutière où j'ai eu un flash Well, bonjour and welcome to the French edition of the Rugby Rap Great to have your company wherever you may be listening. My name is Mick Collis, joining me live from Bordeaux in France as Wallaby number 735. Mitch Hardy, Mitch, great to be with you in France. Oh, bonjour, Mick, Monsieur Mick, <laughs> mon ami, uh, having a great time in France with the Rugby Rap Tour. Um, it's, we're missing young Heath, though. Mm. Would have been good to have a trifecta with us, but um, alas, he was back home in Aussie land, but uh, we are having a great old time on our tour. Yeah. Now, obviously, a lot has happened since we last got up on the wrap, but the big talking point, obviously, is the Wallabies going down to Fiji and Wales and now on the verge of missing out on the quarterfinals for the first time in history. What's gone wrong? Well, I think we can put it down to he hasn't picked the right cattle to do the job for him. Um, young Eddie Jones, he backed backed the young bucks in and they haven't delivered the goods, unfortunately. Um, it was bitterly disappointing to see them um, go down against Wales. And and even if, if you look back at the Portugal performance from the other night, which we've seen both games live, Mickey, it was a little bit insipid. Um, although you think the Wallabies were, you know, at the end of that game, were happy to get away with a win and it was a re- reasonable margin at the end of the game, but far from their best. Um, but I think it was 7-all in the second half. Yeah, yeah, it was. And 20 Portugal. 21 points with a yellow card in the bin were scored. So you'd, you'd like to think that it was far from their best. Capitalised on the yellow card, but certainly mm. not convincing by any stretch of the imagination, especially when you can compare it to that wonderful game we saw the other night with New Zealand yeah. thrashing Italy. But uh, what went wrong? I think you can go back to the cattle that was picked. You know, having a, a Hooper, Cooper, O'Connor on the tour would would have been helpful for him. Um Likewise, losing Skelton and Tupu to those injuries early on in the piece did not help things at all um, in during the World Cup tournament. So nothing's gone Australia's way. But um, Eddie, he backed himself in by picking the squad and it's backfired on him. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people are sort of questioning the whole process and Australian rugby and the system and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, um, Eddie had to pick a, a group to do the job and uh, unfortunately they haven't been able to deliver. And one, one of the big talking points with selection, as you mentioned, without that experience was, especially at number 10, he backed Carter Gordon as his main specialist 10, yeah. Ben Donaldson as the backup. Yeah, and then he dumped Carter. So Carter got canned yeah. and then Carter got injured at training before Portugal. So we went into a test match and our starting number 10 was the backup number 10 with no backup to the yeah, backup. crazy stuff. No one would do that. No, and uh, I think in hindsight, Eddie would but he's in, But he's a he, smart man. He's a coach. How... how how has he made that decision? Yeah. A man that's, you know, touted as one of the greatest coaches of all time to to make that decision. Well, I think I think the people around him need to take some accountability to that as well. I mean, Eddie's, Eddie's not the sole coach. He seems to have a cast of thousands around him mm. and he's either not listening to the people around him or they're all speaking the same language and no one's challenging him. Are they all? Coach. Is that a problem? Do you think there's too many yes men? Oh, with, I, with I, well, you look at the group that he's picked. I'd say for sure. Mm. I mean, I don't know whose job it is to challenge him in that group. He, he's always liked to have people around him to challenge him in that in that selection room, but they've just got it just blatantly wrong. Mm. And I and I think having coaches who don't know the players and the game and the game, like the <laughs> well, you got a couple of leagues in them, yeah. Them too, Mickey, don't forget. But these guys are all proved themselves overseas, I suppose. But overseas rugby is very different to Australian rugby. Um, you know, South Africans rugby's played in a different, slightly different way. New Zealand rugby's played in a slightly different way. They're all different traits of the way the game's played. And I think if you haven't 
been around the players for an extended period of time or watched them play or watched them develop, understanding their game would be extremely difficult for those assistant mm. coaches, in my view. Yeah, it's yeah. not as not as easy as just putting a bunch of guys together and making them play. So I think I think the, the people around Eddie, and they've sort of ducked and weaved in the press lately, but I think the people around Eddie have to take some accountability to this as well. I mean, soft tissue injuries leading into a World yeah. Cup for big units mm. that are prone to soft tissues injuries, that's an early warning sign for me. And then you've got really, you know, the discipline and penalty count, like the penalty yeah. count against Wales was enormous. Yeah. Um, and you, you you can't afford to do that against teams that have got world-class goal kickers. So um, the scrum, you know, even our set piece against Portugal, got mate. Around. Like we, we lost line outs and we got pushed around the scrum against Portugal. Portugal. So you, <laughs> at what point do you start pointing the fingers at, at those that are oh, yeah. meant to be in charge of the, the troops? Yeah. And then another one of the contentious um, was the back row. And and again, even the, the Fraser McRide, a very good seven. Then he played Tom Hooper at seven, who's not a seven. Then he put Hooper back to six and it worked well. And he put Hooper back to seven again. So ag- yeah. again, that lack of cohesion and, and indecision about the, the lineup. It's yeah, which and is Dave Parecki is captain mate. at no point before the World Cup yeah. or through the pre prep test series did Dave Parecki even look like being the yeah. captain. All he wasn't even leadership he's captain in the thing. World yeah. Cup. I think it's been six. They've had six he's, captains. He's trumped six blokes to, <laughs> to get the, to the get big there. Speed. So I don't know. But but you look at the way they mix match that back row as well, like only one genuine seven in the mix. I mean, Tom Hooper's mm. not a seven. He's not a seven. Like the Brum- if the Brumbies picked a team tomorrow, he's not been yeah. he's not been picked at seven. So why is Eddie picking him at seven? No idea. It's just crazy stuff. Mm. It it really does compromise the team. And it, and it's got to impact the players the players yeah. in some way. Because surely the sitting next to guys going, How come you're playing yeah. there this week? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just playing time I'm playing seven. Yeah. All right. Well good luck, mate. We'll see you there. So so do the wallabies deserve to go through to the quarterfinals? Oh, definitely not. Hmm. Portugal's more deserving, even though they won a game. <laughs> yeah. At least they played with a bit of ticker and passion and they, they threw the ball around. They, they were great. Oh, I, they I was really entertaining. Yeah. And getting back to the entertainment, so yeah. John Kerwin's come out today or during the week and said that um, South Africa's boring and they're killing rugby and the governing body needs to actually stop them playing the way they're playing. And then oh. Ian Foster, after the All Blacks game, where they put on 90 points on Italy, He's come out and said that that people would rather watch that game than yeah. watch South Africa, and that's created all sorts of the traditional going. Oh, oh no, that's ridiculous! That's ridiculous. But from a spectacle, that Italian game was fantastic. Oh, I loved every minute of it. There was there was not a person that left early the other night in mm. that ninety six point win. No one left early. Everyone just loved it. Even the Italians loved it. Yeah, like the how much how happy were the Italians when they scored at the death? Yeah, yeah. Deny the hundred and scored yeah. up the other end. <laughs> the crowd went berserk. Yeah. Even the Portuguese the other night, they stayed right to the end. They weren't going home early. Yeah. So because if we're trying to because yeah, if we're trying to attract audiences to rugby, that's what people want to see. I mean, it's not good for Italy yeah. to be beaten by that many points, but that's that game is what people would rather watch than yeah. that stop start truck it up the middle of massive yeah. forward pack. Yeah. You know, scrum line out kick game that we're okay to to keep watching, but new people would th- look at that and think, "Well, I'm not yeah. watching this." Well, for the Fiji Georgia came the other night. That, it was yeah. a lot of mistakes in that yeah. game, but the way the Georgia nine wanted to keep taking mm. quick taps, mm. keep Fiji on their back heels. Yeah, they just kept throwing it and throwing it, and, and even though they didn't have them in the backs, so they keep trying it, trying mm. it out there. They didn't go from set piece to set piece against Fiji. Yeah, they were they were trying to win the game and win it well. By throwing the ball around. So yeah. I think the attitude, the best thing about this World Cup so far is the attitude about the tier two nations playing the game that we all grew up loving. Correct. Now I don't know if that's because the the most of them are semi-professionals mm. or 
you know, probably a little bit more amateur in the way they prepare for games and, and being paid, but it's reflective of their attitude yeah. towards playing the game is is that they've got a real passion for the game and it's coming through in the way they play. But I don't think they've got um, former leagues as their defensive coaches. So no. that's a little bit looser. Yeah, it's a little bit Not less special. structured, been much yeah. better to watch. Yeah, and and there's some terrific players that have come through the ranks. I mean, you, you, you look at some of those guys that they'll be filling um, European top 14 teams yeah, in yeah. Division 2 in France and in the UK, some of those guys coming through out of those other countries, they'll be playing top level rugby. Yeah. Now, if if by chance the Wallabies do go through, and we'll talk about the, um, the, the scenario in a second, but if they do, do you think Rugby Australia will think everything's good, that was all part of the game plan, everything in the game Roll is on fine. the next four years. Roll on, let's keep oh, doing what can't. we're doing. You can't. I like the idea. I think there's there's a whole heap of system changes that need to be happening. We talked about the centralised system being one of those, which has been now announced when we had Herbie on the other week on the pod talking about some sort of centralised system. But apparently the Brumbies are pushing back on that. Yeah. Well, New South Wales, New South Wales, I think, are all in because I'll do whatever Rugby Straight on to do. Right, yeah. Uh, Queensland, Queensland might be a little bit more independent now that, but now that they've got the centre of excellence there at Ballymore, I think they'd be an advocate for it because mm-hmm. they'll be screaming to say, "Well, how about you base yourselves at Ballymore? Yeah, Guys, yeah. we've got some spare office space." Yeah. Um, and then you've got the Brumbies. A bit who, far from Mossman, that's any problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they can commute. <laughs> um, but, Business class. But um, Canberra, yeah. Look, the Brumbies. You know, the financial struggles have been there. I. From the last couple of weeks, something tells me when we wind back the clock, whenever it was that they axed the Western Force and Melbourne was on the chopping block at the same time, if they'd gone the other way way back when, the Brumbies may not be in the financial position they are today and they might have been to sell a few games to Melbourne. Yep. And those those two states could have almost been um, hand in glove mm-hmm. and Western Australia wouldn't have fell in the big black hole that it did. So if you look at that and we go back to a four-province model, I think there's wonderful opportunities there for Canberra to probably sell a few games to overseas, um, even up into Asia as well. Yeah. Like Big That's still yeah. an untucked market for yeah. rugby. Being able to sell a couple of games up in Singapore even, mm. take a super rugby game to Singapore, and the Brumbies have got a wonderful brand. They're up there, up in Japan at the moment, having a tour. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's some systematic changes that we could do that won't break the wheel and won't totally dissemble a system, which I think we've got to try and still back. Yeah. And then so Australia, two from nine under the saviour, Eddie Jones. Big scalps of Georgia and Portugal under his watch. Does he stay or does he go? I I think I think if Eddie's sensible, he should step down at the end of this World Cup and we start again with a new coach and a, really? a new system. I think with a new CEO, Phil War there, New president, Joe Roth. I think Hamish McLennan's got to go. He needs to step off the board straight away immediately after this World Cup. Will he go? Oh, he'd be refused to go. He'd go at the door kicking and screaming. He won't go. He but, won't um, go. But I think he needs to go. Yeah. Um, and I think they need a fresh chair and a fresh head coach. But they're already like, they're, they're paying Dave Rennie. Yeah, at the moment. At the moment. Yeah, and playing he did, golf. So apparently he didn't take the just to pay it in one go. They're just paying him a salary. So he's playing golf, being paid as the Wallaby coach. Yeah. Eddie Jones, they signed for five years. So if he goes, will they be doing that? No. Like, and I'm sure there'd be, it'd, it'd be a million bucks out, a year. He'd have an outcall, surely. Would he? You wouldn't be so silly as to be put on the hook for five but if years. They, but if they if they sack him, do they need to pay him out? Oh, I'd say they would, yeah. If they'd have to wait for him to fall on the sword and leave and find another job. So that's another $4 million they'll have to go to the bank for to, yeah. to pay well, Eddie they Jones. They can't sack him. They're going to ask him to find another job. Because yeah. they're paying, as you said, they're paying. Dave they're when that was... 
I mean, that was just, in hindsight, that was the worst decision of all in this. Like, yeah. why would you sack a head coach after committing to him and he's built a squad up over a period of time and you just throw the whole thing out in one eight months to go. With months before a World <laughs> Cup and hope for the best. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's like, nuts. that to me is just, that yeah. was crazy stuff. Yeah. And that, okay, I, I've been a bit of a fan of Eddie since they put him in there, but you go, okay, well, they've made that decision. Now they've got Eddie Jones in. Logically, he should do a good job and it hasn't worked out. So they now need to fall on the sword, say we made the wrong decision, mm. and start again. But who who with? Who do you bring in? Well, I'd, I'd go back to the Australian coaching model. I mean, you look at how many coaches have formed by the wayside over the last couple of years. There's still a cohort of Australian coaches out there coming through or in the system. Steve Lark and, you know, McKellar. Yeah, um, well, the whole plan was Dave. Darren Coleman's gonna... coming through. You've just had... You've just had um, Brad Thorne and those yep. guys just in their time at yeah, the Reds. Yeah. Um, there's coaches overseas like Andy Friend. Um, you know, David Nusifor is heading up Ireland at the moment as director of rugby there. There's people around and yeah. there's Australians around that are coaching that have been in the system or have been through the system that you could actually put a pool of people together and say, who wants to work with who? Yeah. And how do you get a good yeah. team together? Because the whole plan was with Dave Rennie he would see it through to this World Cup. And then Dan McKellar, the assistant coach, was yeah. just going to naturally take over and a very good coach. Yeah. But when they blew the joint up and put Eddie in and got rid of um, yeah, blew the for whole five system. years, so McKellar thought, I'm not going to wait five more years. So yeah. he's gone. Yeah. So it's just uh, uh, the ramifications of that, that decision by McLennan and the board, whoever yeah. it was that made the final call, was um, mind-boggling. So the yeah. Wallabies haven't won the Bledisloe since 2002, haven't won the Rugby Championship since 2015. How damaging has... This 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 World Cup been to a code that's already struggling. Oh, this this will have massive effects in in participation in particular. I think Mick, when you look at the, I guess the jump in participation after every World Cup, there's always a bit of a jump in participation after World Cups. You you allow for that in the programs that you deliver, the way you structure things, the way you put things together. Um, from a growth of the game standpoint, there hasn't been anything to crow about. I mean, you look at what the FIFA Women's World Cup's going to do for soccer oh, yeah. and football around Australia, yeah. that's going to be a massive boost for them. Even though it was a home World Cup, it was still a massive boost because mm. everyone got behind them. No one's getting behind these Wallabies at the moment. I mean, yes, there's some diehard supporters that have died in the world, Wallaby fans out there that will never give up on them, nor should we, but from a attracting and that, participants to the game yeah. standpoint, that's it's existing, going to be That's tough. existing fans. Yeah, they're yeah. not new fans. They're, new that's fans. us. Existing How do we get fans. new? We can't get new fans to the game. No. Not when you got NRL grand finals and that were blockbusters. You got players like Reese Walsh out yeah. there and yeah, you know, that um, kitty, the number six for the Broncos, Israel. Yeah. Um, yeah, Israel Mam. Yeah, yeah, um, Israel Mam. So you know, you just go, where are we going to get them from? Yeah, and I know, uh, I know, uh, I don't know what the cost has been, but this World Cup. It would have been expensive. So, and it's easy to say in hindsight. So we had that Australia A tour to France. I, I don't know yeah. if they're still over here. Oh, there's still guys floating around over here that playing, have been put on up. standby for the Barbarians. The Noel Alessio is still playing on loan with someone. So it's there was some so basket coach. That issue of a whole squad over here. They got a thousand coaches in that Wallaby line out. Mm. So a lot of money continues. A lot of money that's gone to waste. So, is that an issue that they just continue to pump so many resources into that one Wallaby team? Yeah, because, and I'll say it, and I've said it so many times, they're not making decisions for Australian rugby. They're making decisions based on the Wallabies' performance, mm. and everything's revolving around that. And 
you know, you look at the amount of resources that poured into this World Cup, both in the preparation phase and when the trip up to Darwin and Arnhem Land mm. and all that sort of stuff, and then the extra players and then having the Australia A play locally just in case Eddie changed his mind about a couple or someone got injured. Like, no other team are doing that yeah. as far as I can see. Yeah. And if they are, they are, are crowing about it. But just seems to be rubbing rubbing it in our faces almost. Yeah. The amount, and then the, the amount of bureaucrats the that are over here too. Yeah. Um, like on these junkets or whatever. So you just because you bumped around. into someone up in Darwin, didn't you? And you wondered who he was. Yeah, there was a guy in the group. Yeah, the critical friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asked him what his job was, and he says, "I'm Eddie's critical friend." Need to advise him. Um, so just, the coach has got an advisor just to just to advise him and criticise him and make sure he's doing something right. Yeah. On the pay, I'm sure on the on the payroll. Just and, and again, then you got the you know the Australian women that are that are getting nothing. And yeah. uh, it's this scratching and scraping for a full-time coach. Yeah, that's yeah. nuts. And then you talked about uh, the NRL. So, yeah, during during the World Cup and on that weekend where Australia played Portugal, you had the NRL grand final and the AFL grand final. So the next, the Monday would have been 10 pages of both those codes, rugby against Portugal, you know, against a team, a lot of these teams, the somewhere past the racing and the beach volleyball and the taekwondo. There would have been a bit of rugby, when, and that, and and finally now where there is a bit of air for rugby when the quarterfinals start, and the Wallabies aren't going to be there to to take up that that space in the newspapers, and then you talk about these um and you know Brett Patworth we caught up with him before the Portugal game yeah yep. and he said if he was in charge his first priority would be to get more kids playing, second priority would be to get more kids playing, and his third priority would be to get more kids playing. But how how do we do that when you, you do have you know, like you talked about, you know, you're Nathan Cleary and you're, you're Reese Walsh and and all these guys that they're the ones that the kids are looking up to. So and, and in the AFL with their superstars and rugby just doesn't have any to attract no. the kids. So how how do we get more kids playing rugby when it's so important because we just need more kids playing? Yeah, well, we got to we got to go back to the value of the club system as well. I think like we got to leverage off what the clubs have got within their communities and their villages. That they've come from, like when you look at Brisbane Club Rugby's been strong for the last couple of years. Sydney Club Rugby's been really good, um, been getting lots of people to games in Sydney. Canberra Club Rugby's been strong. Um, you know, the Melbourne club scene, I'm not sure about, but the Rebels sent all their players up to Brisbane this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's got to start back at community club level, um, getting the players out there, doing clinics. Um, getting the engagement through the schools. I mean, I think they've got to put each of those franchises have to put a concerted effort into a community engagement program for the next 12 months. They really need to knuckle down on that. I mean, the competition and the preparation is important, but they need to put some dedicated resources and time into the community engagement piece. Mm. And it can't just be tick and flick stuff. It's got to be meaningful engagement. And I'm yep. talking about running clinics, running competitions, running seven-a-side tournaments, running touch footy if you have to. It's got to be meaningful engagements with these players and these um, people employed in these organisations, and it's and it's got to turn then those engagements into participation numbers. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's out there who's been involved with the rugby club knows what value the rugby club gives to each community, and then we've got to promote that. We've got to promote what how good club rugby yeah. is as well. Mm-hmm. We've got to get more people on the club games so they get a positive rugby mm-hmm. experience rather than the negative experiences yeah. they're experiencing. Yeah, and club rugby has been positive. Yeah, so anyone who goes to a club game in the last couple of years loves it. Yeah. Been a great, great afternoon now. Yeah. So we got to we got to play on that. You know, run a campaign going to next year's club season. Mm-hmm. 
uh, based around all the club comps. Yeah. You know, do promos around that. And the club stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they, they've really got to put their heads together and go back to what what rugby means to people yeah. and, and go back to its you know, grassroots sort of um, connection. Because mm. everything yeah. they're doing now is not working. No. Roll, rolling out Cadbury ads with 10 other tupu yeah. doesn't connect with anyone. No. <laughs> and the big talk at the moment after that weekend was for rugby to throw the checkbook at, at another NRL player, this time in Nathan Cleary. Um, and again, the, so rugby league, and this is something Pappy brought up, but rugby league lets little guys shine. So, you know, Cleary, Reese Walsh, yeah. that Ezra Mam scoring a hat trick, you know, in the rugby league grand final. Those guys, they wouldn't get the chance to shine in rugby like they do in rugby league. Is that a problem with the game of rugby that, that doesn't let those sorts of guys shine? Yeah, well, the game's got quite structured, I suppose, over recent times. And we keep talking about, well, what what are the law changes that would free up more space in the game? Because the space is shrinking because of mm. more more emphasis being put on um, defensive structures. Because when's the last time a number 10 has got a hat-trick in a test match in rugby? Oh, God. Don't think, you know, you'd have to go back to Ella Dose, probably. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you're right. Like the But rugby league's found a little little ways to speed up their game with the with the set, set of six restarts, they've got their 40-20s kicks. Mm. Um, they've got the 10 metres, um, play the ball off sidelines now. We've talked about maybe bringing more short arms into the game for rugby. I think they should still look at that. They've got to think of ways to bring the nippy nines and the tens into play. Yeah, and let more. them shine. Yeah, because as we've seen, like like when when they're TJ Perrinara, or Aaron Smith or a... Or, you know, watch these little guys from Portugal, Georgia, taking the quick taps and really yeah. just sort of challenging the lines. It gets exciting yeah. and creates opportunities because the bigger boys are on the back heel. So I think they could look at something, especially at the breakdown. You know, I've said it before, breakdown penalties could be short arms if it's not foul play. Yep. Um, to be allowed that quick tap. play on. Mm-hmm. Um, that would kill off the, the driving more lineouts, which would be good. The heat's distress. Good. But, um, but I think we've got to look at one. One or two little subtleties like that, that'll speed the game up and bring the little man back into the game. Yeah, definitely. So the Wallabies' progression all depends on Portugal mm-hmm. denying Fiji a bonus point. Will that happen? No. Fiji, Fiji, I think, um, had a bad day out against Georgia. I think they were a little bit sloppy. I don't see them doing that again. I think they were a little bit off off their game that day. But I, Georgia also were very physical in that game. They came off the line really well and put some big hits on I don't see Portugal being a physical side. I think that Portugal is still trying to run the ball at Fiji, and that'll probably suit the Fijians more. Yeah. Um, to play a little bit more of the sort of freelance type yep. of game, throwing the footy around. So I see Fiji bouncing back against Portugal and have putting a big score on, yeah, I okay. reckon. Okay. Uh, and I'm happy to be proven wrong, but, geez, I'd like to see Fiji just absolutely lace Portugal and really assert themselves and... Get some momentum going into the quarterfinal because it'd be so exciting. It'd be great. It'd be great yeah. having them. So it's a big final round of games in the World Cup coming up. So Pool A, France currently on thirteen. They're going to play Italy and New Zealand's on ten. They're level with Italy, and but New Zealand are playing Uruguay. Yeah, right. So France and New Zealand they're yeah, the ones through. They'll go through. Pool A. one and two there. Pool B. This is the interesting one. So South Africa currently on fifteen. Ireland on fourteen. Scotland on ten. So a huge yeah. game Saturday night with Ireland up against Scotland. So yeah. Here we go. Here we go. So if Scotland must beat Ireland and deny the Irish a bonus point to finish second on the head-to-head rule, and South Africa will top the pool. So Scotland can can get can through. Make it. Yep. If Ireland get a bonus point and Scotland do not, Ireland will top the pool on the head-to-head rule from South Africa. A Scotland bonus point win without Ireland getting anything from the game will see them qualify in second place behind South Africa. So the Irish would be they'd be out. Yeah. 
If Scotland win and both teams get a bonus point, then they join South Africa on 15 points and the points difference will determine top spot in Pool B. So that depends on how many they score. Yeah. If Scotland win by 21 points or more, they will claim top spot ahead of South Africa. So then Ireland would then, but then Ireland would qualify as a runner-up on the head-to-head rule because they beat South Africa. But if Scotland don't win by such a margin, then South Africa will finish top on points difference and Scotland second on the head-to-head rule. And But Ireland will guarantee top spot if they secure two points from their match against Scotland. So that's going to be a, a massive game. Wow. It's Ireland up against Scotland in Paris. There's going to be a massive crowd there. So two of the best anthems in the world. Yeah. And at this stage, no one knows which two of those three are going to go through. So that is the true pool of death. Absolutely. <laughs> but in the other pool of death, which was Pool C, the death, the pool with Australia, Portugal, Georgia, Fiji and Wales. As we mentioned, if Fiji just get one point, they'll be through in second. Wales will be first. And then in Pool D, England currently on 14, Argentina on nine and Japan on nine. And Sunday night, the Argentinians will play Japan to determine who goes through. Yeah. So again, that's a cracking match. That'll be interesting. On one, Sunday yeah. night, yeah. Argentina up against Japan to find out who goes through to the quarterfinal. And the RGs have been far from their best. Yeah. Yeah. So, from what you've seen, who's going to win the Rugby World Cup? Oh, look, I'm still I'm I still think Ireland and France will be in the final. Um that's that's a real possibility. Yeah. They can't play each other in the quarters, I don't think. Um no, because no. if Ireland tops the pool, they'll play New Zealand. Yeah. And England, win, uh, South and, Africa I think and South Africa France. will play France. Yeah. And if South Africa top the pool, they'll play New Zealand. Yeah. And France will probably play Scotland. Because from yeah. your from your calculations there, Mickey, I yeah. don't see anywhere where Ireland can finish second. Because uh, if they get the two points, they finish they go first. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's nowhere in those scenarios where Ireland can finish second. Yeah. So yeah. it means France will either be playing South Unless Africa. Unless Scotland win by 21 points. Ireland then would qualify Which as runners-up. No, happen. no. Which puts South Africa out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I still think it's Ireland, Ireland France final, France. and I still think the home team will win. The okay. Cup. You heard it here first. So, to the mailbag, and lots happening away from the Rugby World Cup. Uh, the Australian Rugby Shield's been underway. So, the men's competition, there was two pools. Pool A was the ACT and the Southern New South Wales Griffins, the Victorian Axemen, the Queensland Country Healers and Queensland Suburban. And in Pool B was the New South Wales Country Cockatoos, cheerio to you, Stu Jenkins, Perth Gold, the South Australian Black Falcons and the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. And in the women's comp, again, two pools, Victoria, Queensland Country Orchids, Perth Gold, Queensland Suburban, and then the New South Wales Country Corellas, the SA Black Falcons, the ACT, Southern New South Wales Kestrels, and the Australian Defence Force. So in the women's, the Perth Gold, they beat the Australian Defence Force 31 points to 14, and Frida Sam scoring a double. But that gave Perth Gold fifth place in the women's rugby shield. And in the men's, in the final, the ACT Southern New South Wales Griffins defeated the Perth Gold men's 20 points to 13. So the ACT defended their 2022 Australian rugby shield title, but 10 all at halftime, and the Griffins scoring the 75th minute to secure their title. So that was, I thought it was a great result for Perth Gold. Yeah, I, I think they would have been a little bit disappointed they didn't win. It's it's pretty much the Perth comp, comp versus the Canberra, New South Wales uh, country in the ACT comp. There's probably a mixed bag of players in both teams. Uh, certainly, certainly Perth Gold, they're right, representatives from right across the club mm. system in Perth there. There's some Southern Lions guys in there. Mickey, your, favorite te- your second favourite team. Mm. Um, playing for Perth Gold out there, which is great to see. They had some good lead-up wins. 
A little bit of a scare against the Black Falcons, yeah. which surprised me a little, but uh, certainly convincing wins over the other two, uh, being New South Wales Country and Tasmania. ACT, New S- Southern New South Wales Griffins, they had a quite a few guys from the Canberra comp in there, a few guys from the outer um, uh, country comp that is around ACT, New South Wales, that sit around the Canberra comp there. So a few country players in that group. Um, but I know for a fact uh, ACT Rugby were really keen to retain the title and their coach, Sam Norton Knight, had a, had one of his goals for the year to to win back-to-back Australian Rugby Shield titles. And, um, they, yeah, they just snuck home against the Perth Gold Boys. And was the Queensland Suburban team, was that the, from the Brisbane comp? Uh, it would have been from their Suburban the subbies? comp. Yeah. Right, so not their Hospital Cup. No, I don't think there'd be Hospital Cup representatives in there. Right. So that was a, a good result for the uh, Perth Gold Boys. And then uh, the Western Force, so they had a two-game loss to the Cheetahs in Bloemfontein. They bounced back with a 30-27 to 27 win over the Cheetahs. 3,000 people down at Mandra, yeah, right. which was uh, great last weekend. Tommy Horton, man of the match. And their next game is on this Saturday at 3 p.m. down at Claremont's Revo Stadium. Yeah. And then the under-16s and under-19 Western Force teams, they're in action at the moment. So the under-16s, they kicked off their season with a 32-19 to 19 bonus point victory over the Melbourne Rebels. That was at Revo Stadium last Saturday. They'll head to Queensland this Saturday. And then in the under-19s, UWA back row, Dylan Bronlin, who had a great year in Premier League. He scored a quartet of tries. So that means four as the Western Force. They opened their Super Rugby under-19 championships with an emphatic 48 points to five win over the Rebels, also at Rebel Fitness Stadium. And they will also head up to Queensland this weekend. So the 16s yeah. and 19s both off to a win, which is great. Yeah, and a big weekend, a uh, big couple of wins there against Melbourne Rebels, Mick. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at the pathways for WA players versus the pathways for Melbourne Rebels mm. players, you know, WA's always had the wood on Melbourne. Mm. Um, so, you know, that just adds more fuel to the fire. And, you know, if you're going to start mucking around with a number of franchises, you've got to look at the systems and pathways. Mm. You can't just look at, at being a financial decision. And um, great to see young Dylan Brumlin um, getting that four-try haul against the Melbourne Rebels the other day. That 19s group are shaping up very well and should be very competitive against the biggest states. Mm. And it's really good. I like that they're playing. It's a Western Force team. So it gives those young kids, like if you're an under sixteen year old and you're playing, you know, if you're playing for the Western Force is it in the under sixteen, so I think it's it's fantastic that it's they're actually calling it the Western Force. They're playing the Western Force strip. It just gives them that engagement, that connection to identity. Yeah. Senior to the senior yep. team. And they've got some former Western Force players coaching. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Thrush yep. is down there, Ian Pryor um, yep. as well, which is uh, which uh, is great. Chris Heiberg, I think, yeah, involved. Yep. He's still been heavily well. involved. Yep. So it's uh, it's really good. And then uh, just finally, in uh, a bit of news, the NRL player Angus Crichton, he's turned down the offer to play rugby. So that was all the news after the Welsh loss that Rugby Australia was going to, they'd tabled it off for $1.6 million for two years to Angus Crichton, which would have made the total rugby league investment in two players up around $7 million. And the rumours floating around that Joseph Suwili is managers trying to see if the Roosters player can get out of his contract to come across to play rugby in 2025. I think he's thinking, do I really want to leave my um, my rugby league to go to a team that no one really cares about? And he's probably got a point. Joseph can stay if he wants. Like, like the amount of money we can put into a rugby league players, we can reinvest back into the game through the club system. Um, we yep. can employ development officers. We can boost up. How many could you employ for $7 million, do you reckon? Yeah, a hell of a lot, Nick. <laughs> a hell of a lot. And I reckon that's what we've got to do. If we're going to compete with the the other codes that are out there, even the basketballs and the footballs and those sort of things, who are all going to get injections of funds mm. over the next bit of time, especially off the back of the Olympics in 2024. Yeah. 
Um, we've got a Lions tour coming up. If, we, if we're if we asleep at the wheel and we're throwing money in the wrong direction, um, having a couple of leads ain't going to grow the game. No. It's just and not going to grow the game. And we've got to focus on growing the game and in turn that will then grow the Wallabies and get more better quality Wallabies through the system. If We don't want to be, have a trickle of players who are in that second tier start leaving Australian yeah. rugby and going playing their tried overseas. You don't think, Portugal will be start becoming a viable destination yeah, for yeah. Australian rugby players to go and try God, yeah. to apply their trade and qualify for Portugal in the future. Yeah. Of course, what a great place to play rugby. Yeah. Um, probably not so much Georgia, but yep. Portugal. <laughs> Mate, yeah. you got places like Spain who are a tier three nation. Um, and they play a good brand of rugby. Yeah, yep. so Japan, we all know about the strength of Japan yeah. rugby at the moment. It's getting stronger and stronger. And they've got three divisions there. You know, We're here in France at the moment. Every second village has got a rugby team. There's three divisions here. You don't hear too many of the, the French rugby clubs going broke, but there's a few that are on the edge at mm. the moment, as we heard the other day when we went through Clermont Ferrand. Yeah. Um, it's it's tough times and it's expensive, it's expensive operation to run a French rugby team in the top 14. Uh, we've had a couple of the UK clubs go belly up in recent mm. times, but we don't need rugby league guys sucking funds out of a code that's already struggling. Yeah. We need to reinvest back in the game, grow the game and uh, get people excited about different forms of the rugby. Mm. Um, what we do about our super the, the tier between Super Rugby and Club Rugby can be a debate that everyone can have a chat about and all have opinions on and create some really good barroom chat, especially over here in France, mate, when we've got a bit of time on our hands. Yep. But, um, you know, but there, there's got to be a way that we can we can have a joined-up system that everyone can benefit from without having to employ rugby league players. Because mm. is, is rugby... Um, Living above its means. I've been talking to some people. I've been over here, and and the money that uh, club coaches are demanding, that club players are demanding, is rugby in this false economy where players think they should be earning this money when when they shouldn't be because the money's not there. Oh, I... Like how how do we get how do we get to that situation where we've got clubs having to fork out, you know, five grand for a for a player for a, for a season. Yeah, part of part of I think that's a little bit of fear. Like we saw it in Perth Club Rugby this year where clubs panicked about the relegation system and started yep. throwing ridiculous amounts of money. Which around. they haven't got. And that which they and didn't they have. Afford. Um part of that was from, from fear, Mick, I reckon. Um you've got to be prepared to to suck it up and make good hard decisions and base your decisions on what your your needs and what your wants are and what you're capable of paying and what's worth what's value. Mm. What are you going to get back on return on those dollars as well? Like winning a couple of games of rugby, is it worth five thousand bucks? I don't know. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta look at that. And there's plenty of players around the world that all would love to have a sit in Australia playing rugby, but you've got to make good financial decisions as part of mm. that. So um And I think it, that, I think there is some false economies around false economies was the word I think I was looking for. But yes. I think I think it's based on fear, fear of losing, fear of being relegated, and fear of not winning championships. Mm. Because, and I think if you've got a, a guy, you know, that wants five grand to play, and so he comes to the club, plays him because they might need a number 10, so they pay this kid five grand. But then you've yeah. got some guy that's been there through juniors, Colts, and he's played 70 first grade games and he doesn't get a cent. And he's yeah. sitting next to the bloke in the change room that's getting five grand. And there's and no guarantees well, that guy's five grand is better than him. Correct. Yeah. So it just creates so many problems for yeah. me and this false economy that rugby has got at the moment is one of the biggest problems that the game's got because yeah. all these clubs that are community clubs trying to 
just do their best are being forced to fork out this money that they don't have. And I'd hate, I'd hate clubs in Perth to start folding because they've spent thirty grand on a coach, or and they've spent you know twenty grand on on three players. Yeah, and that's where we. Yeah, that's where we're heading. The word of caution is make good financial decisions based on what's best for your club, not to what's best for winning a premiership. Mm. Don't fall into the trap that Australian rugby's gone into where it's all about the Wallabies. Yeah. It can't be. It's got to be about your system. It's, about, it's got to be about your club. And, yes, you might have the worst first grade in the in the club comp, but mm. you might have the best club. Yes. You know? So, yep. you know, it was great talking to Papa the other day. Like, he's so passionate about club rugby. You know, they're making a big move eastward out to Castle yeah, Hill. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're they're setting up they're setting themselves up for the future mm. as a club, as an Eastwood club. It's not about winning first grade for them at the moment. Um, that might be something that they'll be refocused on in five to ten years' time. But their their focus at the moment is resetting themselves up mm. in the club and, and being a strong club in the Sydney competition. Yeah. So yeah. Um yeah, we just gotta to work towards not failing, not failing and not being um, sitting there in fear and saying, "Oh, we've got to pay this out, otherwise we might lose this weekend." Yeah, yep. Like the fear factor and that false economy is two big factors. Yep. All right. Well, Mitch, that'll do us, mate. It's been um, it's been great spending a couple of weeks with you and fans. We've still got one week to go. Yeah, one week to go. So we'll hit the wineries tomorrow in Bordeaux, Mickey. That'll be good. The the crew are salivating for that. There's a few wine <laughs> connoisseurs amongst the crew on the rugby rap tour, so. We're looking forward to that. Brownie will be out of control, the brown dog. <laughs> and then we head up to Paris where we can uh, get our hands on Ireland, Scotland game. And that's going to be terrific at Stade de France and uh, catch a few shows at the Moulin Rouge and the Crazy Horse. And <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh, we'll run a muck in Paris for the last few days before the long haul back to Perth. But it's been a wonderful trip. We've been all over the south of France, Ancy, Salat, Chamonix, mm. Lyon. It's been yeah. very good, and it's been a terrific crew of people to share the uh, adventure with. Yep, and still plenty more to go. Another week to go for us. So that will do us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the rugby. As we mentioned, some fantastic games coming up in this last uh, pool matches. It will decide who goes through. Australia's still in there with a chance, but we don't think it's going to happen. So enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Yard.